0: Grace, mercy, and peace be to you from God our Father and from our Lord and our Savior, Jesus Christ. Our text today will be taken from the reading in the Gospel of Mark. You may be seated. Begin with the word of prayer. Father in heaven, we give you thanks this day that you have gathered us here to hear your word and worship so that we might receive your gifts and be led out to know uh, the life and salvation that are ours through Jesus Christ alone. Lord, we pray this day that. If you were to find anything in us that would prevent us from trusting in Christ, you would remove it from us. You would teach us to trust you completely and faithfully. And now, Lord, let the words of my mouth and the meditation of our hearts be pleasing in your sight, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Disheartened by the saying, he went away sorrowful, for he had great possessions. He went away sorrowful. That's kind of a strange way to respond to Jesus, don't you think? I mean, as you read through the Gospels and you follow the ministry of Jesus, what you find is, is that Jesus often evokes a lot of emotion, a lot of response, and very rarely are they mild responses. I mean, there are times when Jesus will preach and people will almost recklessly just drop everything they have and follow him. He creates faith in their hearts and they get behind Jesus. It's wonderful. But there's other times where he evokes the opposite reaction. And people are furious at him. They pick up stones to stone him. There's one point where they try and throw Jesus off of a cliff and ultimately they get so angry at Jesus they put him on a cross. So it's like, Faith and love and joy, or anger and rage—like these—are the typical responses we see to Jesus. But not today. Not with the rich young man who comes to Jesus, comes to Jesus to show off all of his good works, to show off all of his morality and his ethical lifestyle. He comes so excited and so jealous, uh, so so uh, zealous to Jesus. But he leaves sorrowful. He leaves sad. Why? Well, perhaps it has to do with Jesus' initial comments to him today. To be sure, he leaves sad because Jesus tells him to sell all he has and give it to the poor, and he's very wealthy, and that's a very sad thing for him to hear. But I think there's even more to it. And we might find the more in the initial comments Jesus makes. The man runs up to Jesus and he says these words, Good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Jesus says, why do you call me good? No one is good except, and let's stop right there. We all know how Jesus finishes the sentence. No one is good except God. But is that how you would finish the sentence? Is that how people in this world would finish the sentence? How you finish this sentence is really pretty important. In fact, I don't want to sound like, Too over the top here today. But how you finish this sentence is the most important thing in the world. Think about it. How you finish this sentence for you is going to be the difference between faith and unbelief. Between life and death. Between heaven and hell. The way you finish this sentence is going to impact how you view everything. How you view the world. How you view yourself. How you view humanity. How you view the scriptures. How you view God. No one is good except for whom. Now, this past month, I was at a theological symposium. I know, you're very jealous of having me getting to go to a theological symposium. Uh, But a theological symposium is something my seminary, where I graduated from in St. Louis, uh, they put this on every year. And I go there with my friends, and we gather to listen to our old professors teach. We, we talk theology, we talk life, we talk ministry, and we enjoy the laughter of friends. It really is a wonderful few days uh, at this symposium. Well, this last time I was there, we were sitting around enjoying one another's company, and some people who were around us thought they would like to enjoy our company as well. And so they kind of joined us in on the conversation. And one young woman struck up a conversation with a friend of mine, and she began to talk about all the evils that were taking place in the world. She was furious at at the country. She was furious at decisions that were being made worldwide. She was furious about things that had happened to her. She had been through some very difficult and, and, and terrible things in her own life, and she actually opened up about these things with my friend. And so my friend responded to her. He said, so in all of that, where do you find hope? in this world and after describing all the evils of the world that she has seen and hates and the things that she has suffered she says well my hope is in humanity because she believed that deep down deep inside despite all the bad stuff going on people ultimately truly are good according to her no one is good except for people except for humanity Now, if this is what you believe, that this world is out of whack with some messed up people in it, we got a few bad eggs there, but really, by and large, deep down, we are truly good people, then this is going to shape how you view everything in this world. It's going to shape how you view yourself. You are no longer going to see yourself as a sinner in need of a savior, but rather you are going to see yourself as a good person who just kind of makes some mistakes. And what you really need is a better teacher, a better guide, kind of like a self-coach, a life coach, or something like this. The scriptures then for you, if you decide to employ religion as that sort of life coach thing the scriptures for you will become a guide basic instructions to how you can have a better life in this world how you can make this world a better place and ultimately all the things you need to do in order to get to heaven when it's all said and done the bible will be for you nothing more than a than a checklist of things that you need to check off in order to be good enough to enter into god's heaven god then for you becomes nothing more than a judge who sits up in heaven And sees the list and checks it twice and decides to find uh, who is naughty and who is nice. And then uh, God ultimately, we assume, at the end of the day, even if we got a lot of bad stuff on our list, uh, at the end of the day, God is going to give us the benefit of the doubt. Why? Because God must recognize that really deep down inside, we're pretty good. And if he doesn't see that, well, then the problem is with him. Because he doesn't see the goodness that resides in each of us. And so suddenly, if we believe that we are truly good, we become the judges of God. And we begin to judge the rest of the world. We begin to look out at the rest of the world and say, look, I'm good, the world's good, and if the world would just look a little more good like me, and they would listen to my teachings and obey my tweets, then things would be better in this place. And so, we think that we are truly good, and we can save this place, we can fix this world. And of course, we would love to employ God in our cause. His grace would sure help out a little bit. I think that's kind of the attitude this rich young man comes to Jesus with today. He believes that no one is good in this world, well, you know, except for God and Him. Jesus says, No one is good except for God. And then Jesus says this You know the commandments. Do not murder. Do not commit adultery. Do not steal. Do not bear false witness. Do not defraud. Honor your father and mother. I mean, he's basically just giving him uh, the second table of the Ten Commandments, all the moral laws in the Ten Commandments. And the man says, Well, teacher, all these things I have kept since my youth. You just said no one is good as God. No one is good except for God alone. And yet, Jesus, you just described me. How about that? It's looking pretty good. No one is good, at least not as good as me. Now, Jesus hears this response today, and his response is really pretty remarkable. But he tells the man, you know, you lack one thing. You lack something rather important, actually, and actually I think we should say it this way. You lack someone rather important. You're so high and mighty in your morality that you've forgotten somebody rather important. You have forgotten God. You lack God. The man says, I've kept all these things. i fulfilled the requirements of the law. I have done what I must do. I'm a good person in this world. What else am I lacking? And Jesus basically tells him, you lack God. He exposes this truth. This truth that if you and I think that nobody is good except for humanity, then the reality is we lack God. God who isn't for one minute satisfied by our checklist of accomplishments, even if we got Bible verses to back them up. Because our goodness is nowhere near God's goodness. I mean, sure, you've got morality, you've got your ethics, you vote the right way, and you hate all the right things. You are kind and sweet and helpful, and everybody wants their kids to either grow up to be like you or to marry you. You volunteer at church, you go to Bible study, you sacrifice everything for your family, you graduate from seminary, and you keep all of this on a list in the back pocket so that you can show it off one day to the God who you don't trust to be good enough to save you by his grace alone. You trust yourself. You lack faith. You lack God. You don't think so? Then drop all your stuff, give it to those who actually need it, leave the lap of luxury and follow Christ. Disheartened by the same, he went away sorrowful, for he had great possessions. And he realized that no one is good except for god so is that where we finish today with this truth that jesus gives us that no one is good except for god which means not you god is good and i am not end of story well that's jeez of course he leaves sorrow because if that's all we have think about how we view all these other things Suddenly, God really is nothing more than a judge, but he's not a happy Santa Claus kind of judge. He's an angry judge who sits up there in his beauty and his glory and his might and looks down on us in shame and judgment. The scriptures then for us become nothing more than a book that beats us up and shows us where we fall short. The people around us are just as sinful as we are, and so we become bitter towards them because we see their sinfulness in their lives just as we see it in our own. Jesus almost begins to sound insulting at this point, exposing that the man is not good, that only God is good, and then saying to him, look, man, you're not good, so do better. Be better. Try harder. Do more. But that's like telling, it's like telling a cherry tree to grow apples. Because bad trees can't produce good fruit. So how could he be better if only God is good? And of course, this would cause the man to leave in sorrow. But I suppose that's the problem that comes about when you lack God. I suppose that's the problem that comes about when you lack faith because you do not understand, I guess, what it means for God to be good. What does it mean that God is good? And I think if we look at this a little more closely and we examine the passage a little more closely today, what we realize is that this, to say that God is good is not just to sort of a describe his essence and sort of how he is in himself, but it describes how he is to you and to me, that God is good for you. For God to be good, what it means is that God is the sort of God who does the very things he commands, who gives what he expects of you. God is the sort of God who actually does take all that he has and give it to the poor. That is the poor, sinful, lost, self-righteous sinners. God comes and gives the treasures of heaven to the poor and the needy and the guilty. Jesus is the one who sells all he has, we could say, who sacrifices his life on the cross so that he might purchase you with his blood. This man lacked one thing. He lacked God. But there, standing in front of him, was God in flesh speaking to him, the very God who had left all the glories of heaven to come and find him and to give him, as he promises today, the very treasures of heaven. I mean, it's a remarkable thing, the way this man speaks to Jesus, or this Jesus speaks to this man, and the man doesn't even notice it. Did you notice the detail that Mark threw in there today? The way he encountered this man? This man, this this proud, naive, self-righteous man, this man who had two idols in his life, his finances, his money, his wealth, and also his morality, his good works. I mean, it's a strange thing to think about, but his good works were his way of breaking the first commandment because he trusted and loved those things more than he loved and trusted in God. So this is the kind of sinner Jesus sees today. And notice what Mark says about Jesus' encounter with him. He says, Jesus, looking at him, at this man, this sinful man, Jesus looking at him, loved him, smiled upon him, looked on him with his favor and gave him his peace. And when you have this kind of God in flesh, Giving everything up to save a sinner like you, then you have a promise. You have a promise that you have all the treasure in heaven so you can come and follow Jesus. Suddenly, Jesus' command to give everything you have to the poor, it's not hard because you have everything you need in Christ. What this man was pursuing was heaven. And Jesus says, Here, I've come to give it to you. And he's like, Yeah, but what about my idols? He wasn't really pursuing heaven at all. He just wanted congratulations. But see, here's what happens. When this Jesus, who sacrifices everything to save you, to forgive you, to give you the treasures of heaven, here's what happens when Jesus says, no one is good except for God. It ceases to be a description, and it becomes a promise. And it changes how you view everything. You no longer view yourself as sort of a good person who's just misguided and needs some direction. No, you recognize that God alone is good and you are a sinner in need of a Savior and that here comes Jesus to be that Savior for you. Suddenly you realize that this call to follow him is not a reward offered to the deserving, but a gift graciously given by God to the sinner. God isn't merely a Santa Claus nor a judge just checking off your list of accomplishments. No, he's Jesus Christ, the crucified Nazarene, who paid for your sins with his blood. Your money and your stuff and all of your good works are no longer idols to hang on to, but gifts that you have received from the Lord to share with everybody you find in your life, with which you care for everyone who God has given you, even and especially the poor and the needy. The scriptures cease to be a road map to heaven. They're not basic instructions before leaving earth, but they are the account of what God has done to save this creation, including you. And no longer is this world a place that you need to fix, but it's God's broken creation, which he has come to restore, and he has sent you and I out into to love. So what else do you have to do at this point but drop everything and follow him? Because he's giving you treasure beyond your imagination. But this man left sorrowful. He did not see what Jesus meant when he said, no one is good except for God. He left because he did not see the love in Jesus' eyes and the smile upon his face. I guess he lacked God, so he couldn't see his mercy. All he heard was one more commandment that he had to do to make God happy. And that one was too much. And so he left in sorrow. Brothers and sisters in Christ, that doesn't have to be you today. You do not need to leave here in sorrow. Instead, you can leave here in joy because Jesus has a promise to make to you today. And this is his promise. No one is good except for God and he is good to you. He gave up everything to save poor, sinful you. He looks on you with love. He carries your sins to the cross. He sacrifices heaven so you would be saved. This is the God who invites a sinner like you to follow him. So let go of your idols. Give those things to the people who actually need them. And hear this good news. You are not good, but God alone is good. And he declares you forgiven. Look upon the face of Christ and hear the promise that you are forgiven and you are receiving all the treasures of heaven from the open hand of Jesus Christ. You need not leave here disheartened or sorrowful today. For God alone is good. And he is very good to you. Amen. Let's pray. Father, forgive us for our pride and our self-righteousness. Forgive us for the idolatry we have in our own good works and our own uh, material blessing. Help us, Lord, to recognize that the only thing truly good in this world is you, and that you are good to us, to forgive us, to renew us, and restore us. You are good to give us your Son, Jesus Christ, who smiles upon us and now invites us to the altar today to receive his very body and blood in the sacrament.